Greetings, gamers. I have just a bit of top of the show news here, and uh, hope you'll indulge me for just a minute. I want to make sure I make note of this because, well, this is news that dropped after I recorded with Brian last week, and since this is launching on Saturday the 25th, I want to make sure that I am as up-to-date as possible. I'm recording this on Friday, September 24th. Last night there was a Nintendo Direct, and among other things that were announced was a shadow drop of ActRaiser Renaissance. It's a remake of ActRaiser on the Super NES, which is pertinent, of course, because ActRaiser is one of Yuzo Koshiro's best-known early works. And this game, it's a lot of fun. There has been some back and forth online about some graphical issues, which don't really bother me personally. But the gameplay is solid. The additions are good without being too much. And the music, of course, is phenomenal. I... I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the rest of the Direct or about the game specifically. If you'd like to know more, just uh, check me out online. But I do want to add a few things from Koshiro's Twitter that I think are pertinent to this. Uh, he's been tweeting almost non-stop since the game was announced. And so the music has an original uh, Super NES mode and an arranged or renaissance mode. Uh, Koshiro added new songs in both modes and wrote almost all of them with the Super NES sound first so that we can enjoy them as if they were additional songs in the original game back then. He wrote 15 new songs in both music modes as well as rearranging 18 tracks from the original SNES music. He said that making a huge amount of tracks and other work simultaneously was challenging but rewarding. It's great to see the reviews and impressions on Twitter, so definitely go on and congratulate him for his work. He mentioned that some of the arrangements also include an additional part after repeating the old theme two times, which was the most challenging for him, as his old songs were well-balanced as game music, and that it was hard to avoid redundancy. But I think that he did a great job. Of course, if you couldn't tell, we're playing the updated rendition of the classic theme Fillmore from the first action stage of the game. And yeah, well, I think that's it. Just wanted to celebrate this brand new release from Koshiro-san since we're going to be talking about him. This episode went a little bit long because Brian and I did have a lot to say, and I hope that you enjoy it. It was really fun. Um, and let us know, as always, what you think online. gamers i'm bed ross and i'm brian and you're listening to very good music a vgm podcast
Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 4-3, and we're, I guess, completing the uh, sort of famous VGM composer Y Triumvirate. A couple of weeks ago, you heard several tunes from Yasunori Mitsuda. Last week, Shukapau and I discussed the wonderful Yoko Shimomura. And as I mentioned, this week, Shukapau is not with me, but instead I am joined by a good buddy of mine whose podcast I have had the pleasure of being on a few times, and we are going to talk about one of his very favorite composers, Yuzo Koshiro. I can't wait! It's so good! There is the man of the hour. This is Brian, as you heard in the intro, and yeah, man, so... Why don't you say a little bit, um, I'm going to give you a chance to kind of plug all your stuff a little bit later on, but uh, give us a brief intro and tell Have us- Have I ever been on your show before? This Have is I the first time. I, I think thought so. You, That's um, wild. <laughs> you, you, you were part of the, uh, the the recording I did for Alex Messenger last year. Yeah, yeah, but I don't count. When I did my uh, VGM podcast tribute, but other than that, this is your first time as a guest, and I'm excited to have you, man. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is a this is a good topic for you to bring me in on. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Yuzo Koshiro. I'm a huge fan of the entire synthwave, retrowave movement in general, and that just excellent, you know, smooth 80s style. It's so good! It's so good. <laughs> it is, and I have had a really good time going through this. You and I were talking a little bit before we started about how the, even the Mitsuda episode and the Shimura episode, as much as I loved their work, even that was educational for me because I, um, you know, dug so deep into what they do. And Koshiro is somebody I've always kind of admired from a distance. I've said before that he's on my Mount Rushmore of EGM composers, but that's really on the strength of just a few games. Um, most notably, honestly, ActRaiser. Uh, until I started digging in on this, ActRaiser was my favorite score of his because that game is my favorite of the games that he has composed. And which makes sense. Uh, ActRaiser yeah. actually is not featuring on the main episode. I'm going to be playing the uh, the very well-known Birth of the People tune, which I guess has been made most famous by the YouTube show Extra Credits, <laughs> or maybe their, their educational counterpart, Extra History. I think that's what it is. They use that as a theme song. But that may uh, show up as the blooper reel. <laughs> and in the, uh, in the main track list, we actually also don't have – what may be Koshiro's most well-known series, which is Streets of Rage. We played in with Ghost Straight uh, from Streets of Rage 2, an absolute classic track, but we're going to be exploring quite a bit of his discography that I was not as familiar with. I did know some of this stuff, but there's a real diversity of sound here, and it just shows the range that this guy has on him. So, Well, I know in particular for the five that I brought, these are five of my personal favorite Yuzo Koshiro compositions. Very cool. Now, as I mentioned, I've been on your show. Yeah. Uh, Brian is the host of BG Mania, one of the podcasts that actually got me into the scene. And um, it'll be back eventually. Yeah, you're, you're taking a bit of a break right now, focusing <laughs> it'll be on, back some, eventually. on some other things. Uh, that is far from your focusing only Focusing on other podcasts, show too. And yeah, the I was only thing say. that I'll do. So, but you've done a, a Yuzo Koshiro episode before. We have. Do you remember if any of these five songs were on that episode? Uh, confident that they were. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't remember. Here it is right here. Episode 50 was our deep dive into, uh, into Yuzo Kishiro. And I'm going to put that in the show Ooh, notes. We didn't. 
They'd, no, no. None of them? We had di- diff- the same game, some of them, but different tracks. Oh, cool. Very yeah. cool. So if anybody uh, really enjoys what you hear here, then go back and uh, listen to that. And Oof, episode 50, though, that audio might be rough. I don't know that I would recommend that. I mean... Uh, after listening we, our audio, to uh, our audio didn't get better until like episode <laughs> I don't know when Frank eventually got his new mic but our audio suffered until that point <laughs> well after listening through my first three seasons um, honestly the audio is probably going to be pretty comparable um, that's true and yeah because I've been operating on some uh, some rubber band and paperclip technology there but you sound so good now and but that's yeah, what I've got my, uh, my my new mic that I've been using for this season that that my wife got me, and a new uh, a new laptop that my good buddy Prof Jeff gave me. So it's <laughs> I'm moving up in the world for sure. I'm joining the big leagues. So so it's a good time to have you on, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to be here. Speaking of uh, your tracks, well, you know what? I'm going to do a little bit of an intro here on Yuzo Koshiro, and yeah. then we'll we'll go into your your first track. Koshiro was born on December 12th, 1967, in the Hito district of Tokyo in Japan. He was musical from a very early age. Uh, his mother, Tomo, was actually instrumental and continues to be instrumental in his music career, but she taught him how to play piano at the age of three. He had a strong command of it by the age of five. And then when he was seven, his mother taught piano to the wife of acclaimed film composer Joe Hisaishi of Studio Ghibli fame. And in return, he did some musical tutoring with Koshiro, who learned from him for three years. One of the things that Koshiro says was most important during that time is that Hisaishi taught him how to improvise. He would show Yuzo a melody and tell him to improvise that melody and make new passages, almost like like jazz. And he said that was super important in his being able to just improvise and go off the cuff and compose things quickly at a later age. That's one of his strengths. He's super, super good at that. It's crazy. He He's so prolific. Like, I thought it was impressive when I said that Shimomura has composed for over 45 games. Koshiro has composed for, I think, over 100. <laughs> it's it's crazy. And such a wide variety. He's been around for so long. Like, Mitsuda's first uh, console was the uh, Super Famicom. And um, Shimomura had composed on the arcade and a little bit on the NES and then the SNES. But Koshiro goes all the way back, as we'll see, to the PC-88. And he is still composing now. And um, he's not any older than the two of them. He might actually, I think he's younger than uh, Shimomura. But it just, he started when he was 18. That's when he was picked up by Falcom. And so, yeah, he's been doing this for a long time. Kind of like some of us when we were kids, he loved arcade music so much. Oh, yeah. Uh, he would ditch school to go play at the arcades, uh, things like Gradius and Tower of Draga. And he would take his Walkman to the arcade and record the music from the arcades and then go back and try to reconstruct it on his computer with his synthesizer. And even when he was still in high school, I think this is really cool. It's like the demo scene before there was the internet. He started making his own PSG or computer based compositions and he sent them into Microcomputer Basic Magazine, where he had also contributed some articles about programming and he submitted them under the pseudonym of YK2. So that was like his version of Vert. <laughs> that was his demo scene handle. Right, his code name. Yeah, y- YK2. And uh, the, his fellow readers dubbed him a PSG god because of his compositions that he submitted. So 
But yeah, now we're getting up to uh, 1986 when he was picked up by Falcom at the tender age of 18, as I mentioned. Composed a lot of stuff uh, while he was with Falcom. We'll talk about a couple of those things tonight. And the first of those is actually going to be your first track. So, <sighs> Which is probably, if I had to pick might be my favorite Yuzoka Zero composition. I am such a big fan of this entire soundtrack. So, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into this. Starting and, strong. Uh, it's, it's super good. We'll go ahead and listen to this. We'll come back after that. Let's, uh, let's check out the Cursed Ship Queen Mary after disembarking from Sorcerian. And that was the cursed ship Queen Mary after disembarking from Sorcerian, the uh, the PC-88 VA version, which is just, I don't know, one of the random PC-88 versions that it, there were so many like there were <laughs> yeah. back then it was kind of tough because, you know, everybody was making PCs and it wasn't as universally easy to get and put together as it is. God, what? So 88, 98, 08, 8, 33 years ago. Wow. That's, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Man, yep. I'm just barely beating that threshold at 35. That's crazy. But yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> for, it's, it's, for, for being the PC-88, dude, and for Yuzo Koshiro, as you mentioned, you know, kind of getting into Falcom at, at the age of 18 in 1986, this releasing in 1987, he was 19 at the time when he put this together. It's crazy. It's just not fair, man. <laughs> <laughs> so much talent. <laughs> and probably the thing that I enjoy the most about being in the VGM podcast scene is getting to listen to some of these old 
computer systems like this yep. and ZX Spectrum and the Sharp because these sound chips are so good. <laughs> like, they so are. good. Man, and just that little touch, like that that echoing, fading trill. In the back, in the yeah. background in this yep. section, yeah. And I on dude, it, it's it's so good. It's so well done. The opening bass line and the melody that accompanies it all throughout, it never loops. And back then in the 80s, in the era of the NES and, you know, we're almost to the point of the Genesis in like another year and a half or so, maybe a half a month or so, I don't know, six months in Japan. I forget when it came out, maybe 88 in Japan. But uh, everything was like quick 30 minute loops back then, 30 second loops to a minute. Yep. And, and here you have like a complete song. And it sounds like a complete song. And it's just, I don't know, man. It's so good. It's so it, good. It does. It's got, yeah, we're definitely starting strong. And it's got so many different parts. And just the level of skill in the composition combined with just the amazing quality of this sound. When you, especially like you said, it's 33 years old. Yeah. Take any other piece of electronic music that's 33 years old and try to compare it to this. And... And the thing is, this is not an outlier. This is indicative of the quality of his work, even at this early stage. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, that's that's great. I cannot cannot think of a better way better way to start. Yeah, that and was that was a, that was a good one to to, uh, to kick us off, and and definitely is a. I guess, you know, look forward to the rest, right? Because they're all just as good. Yeah. And I mean, it, this, this really, it's, it's also good because it shows kind of where his skill is. He's got, it's got yeah. the groove, but it also has um, a real sense of melody and, and clear tonality, harmony, counterpoint. It just, it shows all of those technical musical skills that you'll hear in the rest of his work. And we are not done with Falcom. We're going to be coming back here in a little bit because one of your songs later is actually from a later remake of a game that he composed. Right. But we, um, he actually, not too long after this, um, was done with Falcom. Yeah, and I think he left in Falcom in 89 or something. Yeah, he didn't stay on too long. And it's because he realized fairly early on that he was... At Falcom, um, he was just part of the sound team. Uh, he was not credited individually. The work, and this is not just him; it's, it's all of the Falcom games at this time. It was right there, just to the Falcom JDK. JDK. Yep, yep. So they and, hard, they, you know, it's hard to when you're digging to find out who actually worked on a track back then. It's super yeah. hard to figure it out. <laughs> and I mean, when you and I did the uh, Ease Four showcase, I realized that that's because. Um, they had had composers scalped and uh, um, there were other companies that like their employees had yeah. to, um, uh, you know, they would get kidnapped and they have to pay ransoms. And so Falcom did this very intentionally um, to protect both their intellectual property and their employees. But Koshiro was not having it. He's like, no, if I'm going to put this much work into it, I want to get recognized for it. And so when he left, he actually went straight to freelancing. He didn't move to another company. And he did work for lots of other companies over the years, um, even beyond the ones we're going to hear now. I mean, he, he worked with Sega, Konami, Enix, Namco, Natsume. As an arranger, he worked with Nintendo and Square. I mean, he's been all over the place, but he has been a free agent since basically since 89. Yeah. And 
it was during that time, actually, that he, uh, the next track we're playing was the first track he worked on with Sega. And his mom, Tomo, actually comes into the picture again because she was the one who somehow had made a connection with somebody at Sega and talked them into bringing him on to compose the soundtrack. And this was the year before she helped him start the company that he's still president of today, Ancient, which is a small game development company. Yeah. And she kind of handled handled the business side of things for several years. But yeah, this next game came into fruition because, once again, of his mom's involvement. So, And I've heard lots of really cool stuff about this game. Before we get into that, do you want to say anything like about Sorcerian the game? Have you ever played it or I have much played, about it? I have played Sorcerian. I've never finished Sorcerian. Uh, it's just an early RPG. So, you know, if you think back to like, you know, the early Final Fantasy set up kind of similar to that, mm-hmm. uh, like a side scrolling style um, in, in very similar fashion that they were. Uh, but it's actually really well done. And it's part of the, or at least it initially was supposed to be part of the Dragon Slayer franchise. This was supposed to be the fifth entry in that IP. Yeah, but, yeah I saw that. Uh, eventually, they just kind of like broke it off and, and made it its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dragon like Slayer Persona has done with with Shin with, with Shamagami exactly. <laughs> yeah. But Dragon Slayer like eventually led to you know what is now Nihon Falcom's probably most profitable and popular series that they do outside of ease which is the legend of heroes ah, so okay that all that all started from dragon slayer so theoretically sorcerian is loosely tied to that entire franchise which is okay. kind of cool which is kind of neat yeah. uh, i would Very like cool. to finish this i wish this would be something that uh that could get like a modern re-release because Supposedly, didn't it did. This, uh, it did in Japan on the Switch. The Switch, okay, in Japan, gotcha. But we're, we're never going to see that. It's never been released in English, like okay, except gotcha. on. I think the DOS version was, um, mm-hmm. which is the version that I played. Unfortunately, I wish I could play <laughs> the uh, the you know actual good like the, with, with the good soundtracks and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, not that DOS games don't, but. It's not the PC-88. It's a different world. You know, the the DOS games and that whole Windows scene, it was built to be (laughs) like multifunctional and it it didn't really put as much of a priority on things like sound and video, I think, as as these other like the European systems and Japanese systems did. Sorcerian is well known, though, for having a having a great, like super strong soundtrack. It's they've they have they've put out like five or six different albums just with the music of Sorcerian arranged in different ways. Like, and that, that was the other thing is they actually started releasing some of these albums even early on. And yeah. Koshiro and none of his uh, contemporaries, they weren't getting royalties from right. that because it was copyright Falcom, not copyright to them. And so that's another reason that, that he left. But, but the next game is one of several that I saw. Even if you just pull up Koshiro numbers on YouTube, if it shows the title screen – a lot of the time, his name will be on the title screen, and they'll say music, copyright, Yuzo Koshiro. And that started with this uh, this next game that you're bringing. So Awesome. You ready to- uh, That I didn't know. You ready to bring that? Yeah. So, yep. yeah, let's do it. Let's listen <laughs> to this. I'm actually a big fan of this one as well. And actually, I had a hard time trying to narrow down because I knew I wanted to pick from this particular game, but I didn't know exactly which track. And then I settled on uh, Chinatown, which is stage 6-1 from- The Revenge of Shinobi.
Right, and that was Chinatown, otherwise known as Stage 6-1 from The Revenge of Shinobi, which came out on December 2nd, 1989 here in North America. Of course, composed by Yuzo Koshiro. And dude, it's, first of all, I gotta give a quick shout out to the bass line that, that just kind of persists throughout the entire track because it slaps so hard. It is so good. It is so well done. It but is. Koshiro knows his way around a baseline for sure. He absolutely does, and that's so exciting. But uh, The Revenge of Shinobi is an excellent, excellent game that you and I were kind of chatting about it while listening to the track. I didn't actually finish this game until my late teen years because, you know, initially playing it back in like 1991-ish after I got my Genesis for Christmas, mm-hmm. it was hard, dude. It was a challenging game. And... Yeah, I mean, the I was Shinobi games good. have always been. Yeah, they've always <laughs> they been. Have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shinobi Ninja Gaiden. I haven't been good at any of the Ninja games. No, but, yeah, Ninja Gaiden's another one. It's very, very challenging. Yeah. It's funny doing this show makes me think like, oh, I should find this game and play it. And I've got, I've got so many games just in my house on my computer, and. I think I've, I've had to come to grips with the fact that video gaming is no longer really a hobby for me. You know, video game music and all the things I do with it are definitely hobbies for me. But I haven't played a game hardly all summer. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just so busy with other stuff. And a lot of it is just with the podcast. And, you know, one of these days I'll get, get back around to it. But just looking at some of the screenshots of this one, I, I'd like to, like to dig into it. Uh, I rented this one a handful of times and I never made it to any of the, the fun bosses. Uh, kind of infamously you fight like rambo spider-man batman godzilla it's it's kind of wild where they this just goes. like they just don't call them you know they they just right godzilla is like yeah monster g or something exactly like that. exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah it, <laughs> rambo is rocky or something like they don't oh, yeah they, yeah rambo they, is they rocky. rip off they rip off the names but they look identical to the characters <laughs> And they actually were able to keep Spider-Man in it for a while because Sega had bought the video game rights to Spider-Man to make Spider-Man and the Kingpin. But then when they when that expired, they couldn't re-release the game for years because they never scrubbed him out. So funny so how that works. It so is crazy. Yeah, yeah, copyright and all that, all that stuff. It's so kind of like what's going on with uh, with Sony and Marvel and Disney and all that right now. Spider Man just always causing trouble. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> hey, they're, tangled web. We are getting some great games out of Sony's deal with Marvel and all this stuff, though. So yes, we as are. As, man. as long as Insomniac Games keeps cranking out one per year, we'll take that Wolverine open world action game. That looks great. I don't even have a PS5 and that Wolverine game and that Spider-Man game. Just watching stuff from oh, yeah. those is going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And, I can't wait. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. But yeah. Back to back to Shinobi. Um, this So this was the sequel to the original Shinobi on the arcade. Right. Which uh, Koshiro had played, was a fan of. and um, It was the first Shinobi game to come out on the Genesis, however. Yes. So what are some other uh, tracks? Because I I recommend pretty much all of these. Well, yeah, all of them, not pretty much. All of these soundtracks that we feature tonight, go and explore some more because there's some really good stuff. What are some other songs on this soundtrack that you uh, that you almost went with? Do you think? Uh, Stage one is super iconic. Obviously, it's called the Shinobi. Um, It's it's also very funky, groovy type of a it, it. 
sounds nothing like what we just heard with Chinatown. Um, yeah. But but it's one of the more memorable tracks, obviously, being stage one. Uh, they usually kind of put their strong tracks there. Um, mm-hmm. There's a track called Make Me Dance, which is stage <laughs> two dash two. That has always been one of my favorites from this game for some reason. It It's this super like sleazy sounding nightclub ish track that uh, almost night at the Roxbury vibes almost, you know what I mean? Like just the way mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that Chris Kattan and what was the other guy's name? I don't remember the way they acted in that movie though. I get vibes from that, from the yep. track. I don't remember um, either, but yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> well, and, and there, uh, there's just so many good ones. Koshiro said actually in an interview that I read that he wanted to make the songs in this one kind of an extension of the songs from the first one. Like he, he wanted it to be kind of thematically consistent, but he also um, started listening to, um, he's always listened to like the music of the day. He always listens to a lot of different music. Right. And he was listening to the latest music at the time, which was club or uh, later disco music. And so he decided he wanted to kind of combine that style with the Japanese taste of the original Shinobi. So that's how you get like Oriental techno, funk, jazz. Um, right. Super great. Groovy, super sleazy, yep. yeah. It it just works really well. The entire soundtrack uh, for for the Revenge of Shinobi, and it's got that you know raw Genesis sound that makes, oh, yeah. honestly, in, in my opinion, sometimes makes Genesis versions of soundtracks better than Super Nintendo versions. So it totally depends on the style, but Koshiro's style really goes well. With oh yeah, the, uh, with with the, the Genesis sound chip, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. Him, him on the Genesis V, him on the SNES is is night and day. Did he even do anything on the SNES? It is, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure he did. While I was going through this, um, I realized that his SNES soundtracks were actually probably some of the weakest of his whole discography. Yeah, you look at you look at Actraiser. You look at, I mean, Actraiser is good. But Actraiser I, is the is the exception. Actraiser I think, I think is, a lot of stuff that he did on the Genesis is better than Actraiser, though. I think sound quality wise, I think you're probably right. Um, with Actraiser, uh, I think the difference between that and some of his other stuff, like uh, there was a casino game and there were some other ones that were honestly just kind of forgettable. But the difference with Actraiser is that he, for one, he actually developed some extra hardware so that he could jump back and forth between different arrangements of, his, of instruments between the different tracks so everything didn't have to sound the same. Yeah. He also composed the Actraiser songs, or most of them, using PC-88 hardware. And then he used his like homebrew hardware to upgrade it to what the SNES actually used as, um, as a sound chip. And... He did that with some of his later stuff as well. I think probably most famously with the Etrian Odyssey series. He still composes that stuff on PC-88, and which I think is really, really cool. Because it's still like that sounds he, amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he that's like that's his instrument of choice. Yeah, it's like somebody who uh, you know composes on a guitar because that's what they play, and then they transcribe it to other stuff. You know, that is what he knows. And so, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so we're. So we played some PC-88s, and we have played some Genesis. We are actually going to move back to the PC-88 for my first track. And 
This is the last of sort of early Koshiro that we're going to play. There's quite a bit kind of in between this one and your next one that I'll probably get into just kind of, you know, touch base like I did on the on the Yeah, we're going to be we're going to be jumping quite a bit, but then we go back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny the way we do that, but Yeah, we we go back a little bit, but it's actually a re-release. So technically, not really. And so, as I mentioned, Koshiro really kind of played around with a lot of different kinds of, of music. And because of his early like classical upbringing, he also had learned like some romantic and some Baroque style music, which he employed in a couple of his soundtracks around this time. But then on two games, which actually it's funny because I was it was hard for me to decide between songs from these two games. One of them is The Scheme, which I know you featured on your show because that's where I first heard of this game. Yep. And the other one is <laughs> the the game we're actually featuring, but on these tracks, he brought in Eurobeat elements for the first time, and really started getting into that really like dancey Koshiro vibe that we come to know later on games like Streets of Rage, and especially Streets of Rage 2. But what we are going to play is, I, I couldn't figure out, and maybe you know, I couldn't figure out if this was an adult visual novel or just a visual novel game. I'm fairly certain it's an adult visual novel. Most of them were around this time. Most of them were. Back um, then, most of them had, you know, scenes mm -hmm. of... of I don't know, 8-bit, 16-bit nudity. It doesn't look great, but... <laughs> right. Uh, Mike over on XVGM Radio calls them digital giblets. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And the cover yeah, art so... has them, like, sort of naked, but not really. So yeah, I don't not know. really. It's So it's, I don't know. Um, Hands are yeah. covering the appropriate spots, I guess. Right. So... In this game, you go on like a series of uh, of dates, and I think that you're trying to woo this girl, who I think is the title character, Misty Bloom. Mm -hmm. And actually, the name of the track we're playing, this is the theme of Misty Bloom. And this is from the game, Misty Bloom. And we will uh, hear a little more about that when we come back. That was the Misty Blue theme from Misty Blue, released by Enix and developed by Quintet for the PC-88 in 1990. 
And, you know, we were talking about Actraiser a second ago, but that was also a Quintet Enix joint. Uh, so this is not Koshiro's last time to work with either of those companies. You and I were talking about this track really reminds me of that sort of late 80s, early 90s dance uh, sort of ace of bass style of, of European dance music. Yeah. And yeah, totally. There were a few tracks from this game too that I almost went with. And then I, I landed on this one mostly because of the cool places that the melody goes in the B part. Yeah. Yeah. This one's definitely got that sort of driving dancey rhythm, especially right here. Then you get that sort of drum fill around one fifteen. Yep. Before it loops. (laughs) And the panning on this is really fun too when he brings the drums in. Yeah, this is a good track. This is a good pick. And I was looking at um, at a thing on this game. It's on hardcoregaming101.net. Um, it says here that the band at the center of the mystery, Orf, is heavily reminiscent of the J-Rock group Bowie, which disbanded in 1988 before the game's release. So I hmm. wonder if some of the tracks in this game are meant to be like reminiscent or plays off of off of that J-Rock group. I, I would need to dig into that more. I don't know. I mean, I could see it because we've already ta- looked at how Koshiro is influenced by, um, you know, by the music of the day. Absolutely. And, so, and you know, yeah. this game came out a few years after. Yeah, I think that would make sense. And it definitely wouldn't be the first time that something like that, you know, something like that happened. Wow. Number 22 of the 100 most important Japanese pop acts. I got to dig into this. I need to find out what their uh, what their sound was like. That's what I love about this kind of stuff, man. You find yeah. these rabbit holes and it's just oh, see, it's so see, much fun. see if there's any like ties or hidden innuendos in the soundtrack to Misty Blue since the band is based off of them. <laughs> That'd be fun. And it, it's really cool because um, Koshiro was obviously, as we've discussed, um, influenced by the music of his day, mm-hmm. but he also has, in turn, with a lot of the innovations that he made, and especially with Streets of Rage 3, where he actually developed almost like an algorithmic randomizer for the dance and techno sounds in that soundtrack. He really influenced uh, contemporary artists, like I saw names like Iconica, Labyrinth, Joker, and Just Blaze, who I think works with Jay-Z, of all people. Oh, wow. All of them have mentioned Koshiro as an early influence on their work so we're gonna start seeing actual composers enter the scene now that are you know consider him to be god basically so yeah <laughs> you know, i mean these we kids already that are see... coming up now that are and they're gonna be 18 to 25 age range like that grew up listening to this it's gonna be great i can't wait in that same interview I read from earlier, Koshiro uh, mentioned that around this time that Misty Blue, The Scheme, and The Revenge of Shinobi were all big turning points for him as a composer. That until then, he'd created mostly uh, rock and fusion music, which is what you hear in a lot of the, the Falcom stuff. But that Misty Blue and The Scheme especially were Eurobeat, and Revenge of Shinobi was based on, he said at the time, house music, which obviously is oversimplifying it as we discussed. But he said those scores were the origin of his dance music, and he is right. still to this day pleased with with all of them but yeah uh, and and he does he continues to um influence composers to this day like the uh, composer you interviewed on your uh, cyber shadow episode a while back yeah pentadrangle pentadrangle yeah yeah that was a that was a cool episode as well um everybody definitely go check that one out and uh you really hear the influence of yuzo koshiro in even in established composers like jay kaufman and you know pentadrangle and 
uh, T-Lopes and a lot of these guys that are up and, and um, doing this nowadays. And he's definitely up there with Koichi Sugiyama, Nobuo Ematsu, Yoko Shimura as an early, like, really influential composer on the scene. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. I mean, you see him anytime people are talking about, like, oh, what were you influences and that kind of stuff. I mean, Yuzo Koshiro yeah. comes up often. So that's really cool. Definitely. And so we're going to be kind of jumping forward and back in time. Our next game didn't actually come out for about 10 years after this, um, but it was from an older time period. <laughs> but then after that, we're going to jump ahead again. So some of the big stuff during this time, by this point, Ancient had uh, had started between Koshiro and his mom, and actually his sister was a character designer on several games that Ancient worked on. But during this time, Koshiro would uh, compose for the 8-bit versions of Sonic the Hedgehog, where he famously composed a Bridge Zone, I think, is probably the most well-known of, of that soundtrack. But he also adapted some of Masato Nakamura's stuff from the Genesis uh, really impressively onto 8-bit hardware. He worked on Super Adventure Island, which, other than ActRaiser, might be his, his best SNES game. Streets of Rage 1, 2, and 3, which I'm going to talk about briefly here in a second. Miracle Casino Paradise is the uh, other SNES game I mentioned. It's it's okay. It's not fantastic, but I don't think I've explored that soundtrack at all. It, it's got some it's got some okay stuff on it. It's not a bad soundtrack by any chance. I would say it's good. It's just not as great check it as out. the stuff we're actually playing. Yeah, Miracle Casino Paradise. Uh, he also composed Beyond Oasis and The Legend of Oasis, which in Japan and Europe are known as uh, a story of Thor. Beyond Oasis is one of his worst compositions he ever did, dude. Like, Beyond Oasis is awful. (laughs) (laughs) And it's mind-blowing that that game is on the Sega Genesis, like, mini. That little classic thing that they released because of the Super Nintendo mini and stuff. Yeah, that awful game is, is part of it. And the soundtrack just, it's very blah. Like, I don't recommend it. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, you know, everybody has their uh, their 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 lower moments. Um, uh, what's actually interesting is I almost picked for the episode the uh, menu music from the Genesis Mini because uh, Koshiro. Oh yeah, he did yeah, the Koshiro he did, did the uh, the composition for that, which is super cool. It is that they brought him in to do that because he is so obviously iconic for the Genesis. But yeah, kind of between um, our next couple of tracks, those were sort of sort of the high points. He was really busy with uh, his time in his time with Ancient. You start seeing him work with several other composers during this time. A lot of those are composers at Ancient who Koshiro was kind of taking under his wing and like mentoring through through their time here. So, so that's really cool when you look at it that way. But I don't think we can really move on without talking about Streets of Rage at least a little bit. We did play in, like I said, with Ghost Straight. But why don't you talk a little bit about? the impact of Streets of Rage and your impression, like in your words, why do you think it is that these are Koshiro's most famous works? Well, Streets of Rage is what really brought him outside of, you know, the uh, the Falcon games, but even still, back then, you really didn't know that it was Yuzo Koshiro because of the issues we talked about with the JDK sound team. So a lot of people attribute you know, their discovery of Yuzo Koshiro to either Streets of Rage 1, 2, or 3. So it's always going to be closely tied to him. And for good reason. Like, th- back in the 
late 80s, early 90s, this, you know, Super Nintendo Genesis era, even a little on the NES to an extent, beat-em-ups were really coming into their own and becoming this super popular genre. Absolutely, And then, yeah. you know, Sega breaks in with Streets of Rage and I, I think just kind of changed the game, not only because the game was incredible, like, for its time, it was... The graphics were amazing. Obviously, the soundtrack was unlike anything that we had really ever heard before because you're getting this like full synth excellence just pouring out of your speakers. And, and back then, that was just hard to see and hard to do, right? Unless you had the PC-88 or something like that. But back in 92... Not many people did. So yeah. this is, you know, their first introduction and their first way of seeing all that. And I, I think it left, it left an impression, dude. There's a reason why so many people, you know, talk about the end credits theme to Streets of Rage 2 and how amazing it is listening to the waves as the music plays. Like, those are memorable gaming experiences that are going to stick with people. And a lot of it's attributed to Yuzo Koshiro. Yeah, like so much of this game is in is in the ambience. And last week we played a track from Final Fight, and Final Fight that that was kind of the thing is which one do you prefer uh, the the Final Fight on the SNES or Streets of Rage on the Genesis? And right, and I was always a Streets of Rage fan myself. And I not gonna lie, <laughs> I owned Streets of Rage too. I had never owned. Final Fight. I had played it, I'd rented it a few times, and it is really fun. Like, a lot of the, the mechanics and everything, they're really cool. The sprite work in Final Fight is amazing. Coming from Capcom around the Street Fighter 2 era, that's not surprising. The other cool thing about Streets of Rage, though, Final Fight was originally made for the arcade, and it was ported to the SNES. Turtles in Time was also a port. In that instance, I would say that the Super NES version actually is superior to the arcade version in a lot of ways. But Streets of Rage was built from the ground up for the Sega Genesis. And, and you can tell. And you it can just, tell. Yeah, I mean, it just played better for a home console than anything else that we were getting at the time. And the soundtrack specifically, I think, to Streets of Rage 2 is, as much as you can say objectively that there is a list of the greatest of all time when it comes to, to art, I think Streets of Rage 2 has to be on anybody's top 25 of like all-time most influential and and most, like the quality of production on the soundtrack is just... It's amazing, and it stands oh, yeah. up there with Stone Cold classics like Final Fantasy VI, uh, Chrono Trigger, um, Street Fighter II, uh, Mega Man, uh, Mario and Zelda, and the Nintendo stuff. Yep, I was of course, say Ocarina of Time. Absolutely, yeah, Ocarina of Time. I mean, Streets of Rage Two is is amazing, um, just as a work and. I was glad we we I was glad I, I ended up putting something <laughs> on this and I think it's also a fitting way to start it since like you said, this is really what got Koshiro's name on the map was Streets of Rage. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Like without question. I mean it, it it's unfortunate that it wasn't his Falcom work that got his name on the map. It is. Because I think it was excellent, but that's just no fault of his own. That was just the way mm -hmm. Falcom was operating at the time. Yeah. So but it's also really cool because Streets of Rage, I feel like, is the culmination of Koshiro's like first act. Like everything that he had done up to that point, it went into this soundtrack. 
and yeah. um, really sort of this is when he matured as a composer and everything after that is really sort of it stands on the shoulders of of Streets of Rage 2 speaking of which though we are coming up on uh, on another Sega track that that you're bringing and this is where we're jumping ahead about a decade and this is also a really classic track I had this one on my short list as well and then I was glad when you picked it because then that meant I could take that off and focus on other things (laughs) (laughs) but why don't we go ahead and get into your next track Um, what are we going to be listening to another one of my like I said these are five of my top favorite Yuzo Shiro tracks but this would probably be either number one or two depending on how I felt for the day and if I felt like putting the Solsarian track in number one or if I was a little depressed and felt like putting this on number one because this is just I don't know man this this track speaks to my soul it's a it's total Shenmu a total shift for sure it's we're gonna we're gonna take it down a notch <laughs> yeah this this track is I, I like to bring a little bit of slowness to whenever I'm on a show. So uh, let's take a listen to the sadness I carry on my shoulders from the original Shenmue. And that was the sadness I carry on my shoulders from Shenmue. This was the uh, original version that came out in 1999 on the uh, Sega Dreamcast, which is crazy. I think we got it in 2000 here in North America, but Japan got it in 99. I have talked about this a lot on various shows, but I am a big fan of Shenmue. Like, it is one of those IPs and franchises for me that has it's like comfort food almost like mm-hmm. i don't know what it is about it it's the it's the simplicity of not only the music the, and this track in particular is also very simple but it's so beautiful but the entire game is that way like you know the controls are janky but 
the game is still beautiful and everything going on here like it tells a story in a way that Yu Suzuki who kind of you know is the brainchild of of this game and a lot of things mm -hmm. that Sega was doing back in the uh in the 90s like Space Harrier and Hang On and that kind of stuff which is why you can play those games in Shenmue <laughs> at the at the arcades <laughs> and cool. stuff and like Virtua Fighter and stuff like that but I wondered um, well, as I was listening to the soundtrack, uh, trying to find this track to download, yeah. I came across the Daytona theme, and I was no, like, yeah. what no, is... They, they, you can play, like, <laughs> classic Sega arcade games, majority of them ones that Yu Suzuki somehow had a hand in, So, which is really That's cool. That's so cool. And, you know, back during the, uh, the E3 of Dreams when they announced Shenmue 3 and they brought him back out on stage, like... That was so exciting because, you know, we still haven't seen the culmination of the Shenmue story, even with the culmination of Shenmue 3. Like, it's still not done. So hopefully we'll see a Shenmue 4 at some point in the future before we're all dead. But uh, the, the music here is so different from what you're hearing the entire rest of this episode right it you've is. got you've got the the piano here you've got some type of light string instrument in the background i'm not sure mm -hmm. which one it would be but it's just yeah, I so wanna beautiful say it's, might be a viola uh it's not it quite a be. cello but it's a little no. bit deeper than a violin but but yeah it's really really like like you said very different and shows uh shows a side of Koshiro that, that we don't see as much in, in the other music we're playing. You had mentioned when we were listening to it that, you know, if, if someone had told you that Yoko Shimomori had composed it, and, and that's, you could, like, the range is so crazy. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So I had not heard much at all about Shinmu before I started listening to VGM podcasts and I heard some people talking about the soundtrack. So if in case there are any other people out there kind of like me who are having trouble wrapping their minds around this, what is Shinmu? Like like what do you do in this game? So Shenmue is basically the story of Ryo Hazuki and his story of revenge against uh, Lan Di, who is this Chinese man that killed his father. And this all takes place in the first, like, two minutes of the first game. So you get introduced to this cutscene. The game gotcha. takes place in 1986 in Yokosuka, Japan, which is really crazy because people have since... After, you know, because this game does have a very strong cult following, it never sells extremely well in terms of like actual numbers when compared to other games. But there's a very dedicated and strong cult following that is that is a huge fan of the Shenmue IP. And people have gone on these like trips to Japan to the various areas that the game was set in. And a lot of areas still look the same. Even all this time later, like That's there's some cool. of the, the alleyways, like some of the shops and names have changed, but all the signage is still there. All the stuff that was in the game is still there. And Kyle, if you've ever listened to any of our, you know, any of your listeners ever listened to any of my other stuff, uh, he does the media files on the Level Down Games podcast, all that kind of stuff. But he lived in Japan for a couple yeah. of years and... I shown like a lot of the, this game in Shenmue 2 and Shenmue 3 to him, and it's just wild how accurate 
Shenmue gets in terms of being like a, a mini Japanese life simulator. So underneath this revenge plot of Ryo trying to avenge his father's death and going and chasing Londi, which takes him from Tokyo to Hong Kong to China. Uh, I forget the, it starts with the G Gyeong something in China. Um, but you're getting to see all these very different locations throughout uh, Eastern Asia, which is super cool. And there's this really, I guess the Yakuza series probably attributes a lot of its success to Shenmue because I don't think without Shenmue, there wouldn't be a Yakuza franchise, which also is, which also is Sega. I can see that. But I think after Shenmue kind of like, you know, cause there was Shenmue and then Shenmue two, and then they didn't do Shenmue three. Like that wasn't Sega. That was Yu Suzuki AM two. And I think Sony that was helping fund mm. that at the time. So, Sega had kind of abandoned Shenmue and then kind of moved on to Yakuza, which is a very similar formula. It's the same stuff, more or less, just not the same story. Gotcha. So going back and trying to play the Shenmue games, especially the original ones, it's kind of tough. Like... As I mentioned, the controls aren't that great. They they have very tank style controls. Ryo Hazuki, you know, when you move the the control stick, he moves like left, right, up, down. He moves like a freaking tank. That's why they call them tank style controls. Yep. And it's not fun. It's very old feeling and and hard to unless you're a fan of the series, hard to get into. Yeah. Um there there was a remake re that was released recently, the remastered version that came out on PS4, Xbox One and playable via backward compatibility if you have the new consoles it addressed the controls a little bit made it a little bit easier if you're going to play it at all play that version cool good deal we're gonna uh turn things up again for the next few tracks let's do it i don't think we need to lead in too much because we've already talked about his time at falcom but we will be able to talk uh, about this series a little bit you and i have some podcasting history with this series what are we going to be listening yeah, to which is uh, exciting listening to next we're actually going to be taking a listen to Protectors from Ease 2. Now, this is not the original version. This is a a redone version that was released well after the game came out. Um, it's It was part of like the Ease 2 Complete soundtrack collection. That They did the same thing for Ease 1 as well and released an Ease 1 Complete soundtrack. But, uh, you know, they brought everybody back in to kind of redo the stuff. And this is excellent. So, yeah, Protectors from Ease 2 Complete.
so good. <laughs> it is. It's ridiculous. It's a battle theme, obviously, but man, it's so ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I mean, you Getting can tell it's a battle rock. theme. Oh, yeah. Man, that guitar. <laughs> it's so good. All right, and that was Protectors from Ease 2 Complete. The original Ease 2, if we go back to like when it actually came out, was released on the PC-88 in 1988 in Japan. We never actually saw this game released in English. This particular version, like the original game. Like they eventually would release like the Ease 1 and 2 Chronicles compilation, but that had uh, changed some things. So, yeah, we never actually got to play mm-hmm. the original Ease 2, that ancient Ease Vanished final chapter. Never released in North America, so unfortunate. But a lot, again, as we talked about with Sorcerian and... I think it was just Sorcerian, actually. But this one also had several soundtracks that were released alongside the game and after the fact. And this particular track comes yep. from one of those, the complete version, which uh, was... I think released in. I want to. I what I saw. I think that this, this actually was used on on a Windows. I think this was actually used on a Windows. It might have been that came out in two thousand one. Ooh, that I didn't know. I thought this was just part of the uh, part of the actual like bundle of music that they did. If they did, if they use this in a version, good for them because it's an excellent version. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm gonna have to do a little bit of digging again, but I'm pretty sure there's a that this came out on. Yeah, Ease Two Complete is a Direct X Five based game for Windows 98. Okay, hell yeah. Um, that was released by Falcom on June 28th of 2001. Good for them. Yeah, good yep. stuff. I'm so, glad you found. It. I thought this was just part of like you know one of their musical compilations that they did, where the music just sounds better than it did back in the day, but. It does, like, because you, you and I were talking about it um, and, and kind of digging through the original versions when you were asking me about this track after I had submitted my five to you. If you listen to the other versions of Protectors from Ease 2, mm-hmm. they do sound like this, but they don't sound as crisp. It doesn't sound as clean. Yeah. And you get more of that synth, more of that guitar in mm-hmm. this version than you do in any of the others. This is a really a really faithful, I think, rendition of the original. Absolutely. And as we heard on the uh, the Ease Four showcase that we did, possibly the most well known versions of these soundtracks were for the PC Engine, yep. TurboGrafx Sixteen uh, CD. And as we heard, that version was often different. It threw in extra stuff along with the original compositions, and. From what I saw, I don't remember where I saw this, so it might be apocryphal, but I don't think Koshiro was a very big fan of the PC Engine arrangements of his music because he felt like they lost something of like the original spirit of the composition, which of course is subjective, you know. Um, and Stephen King, I think, is kind of famously not a big fan of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, but the movie is still a classic. <laughs> it doesn't matter exactly. So um, <laughs> you know, you can still you can still love them and respect his opinion and you know not agree with him, but. He does say, and, and I did want to come back to this, I almost mentioned it earlier, but even in spite of everything that happened early on with Falcom, he recognizes how much of an impact 
those tracks had on his career and he still he still loves the music and he still um feels he said he feels completely satisfied with the score particularly to ease one uh, ancient ease vanished and still enjoys listening to the score over 20 years later and associates it with um you know nostalgic memories of when he was young and so i thought that was pretty cool to find out absolutely yeah that's super cool yeah this i mean ease is I mean, it's on its ninth entry now, and it is finally getting some recognition in the West after some of the stuff like uh, Ease Origin and uh, Ease Eight. And um, thank, thankfully, Ease Eight really brought in, a, I think, a larger audience for the series mm-hmm. here in the states. Um, it, it was a very well done game, but I mean, I think Memories of Celsetta, which was a remake of Four that we talked about. Um, we did that. We did an episode for my show, right? I think so. <laughs> um, yes, we, we did. Yes, we yeah. did the episode yeah, four did thing ease, for your we show. We did that ease four, and we did yeah, the. We, did that um, we talked about the ease origin soundtrack for your show as well. Yeah, we did. We did both of those. Memories of Salsetta when it came out for the Vita in 2012, I think also kind of brought a lot of eyes to the series too because it was easily accessible at that point uh-huh. as well. Uh-huh. Easily. But, <laughs> Easily, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a, a dad joke radar for that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, that was, uh, and I have you to thank for really getting me into the ease music. It's, it's so, so good, and so much of it really harkens back to what, I mean, when they're not outright just using new arrangements of Yuzo Koshiro's compositions from back in the day, it still builds thematically on the groundwork that oh, yeah. he laid. He, he laid the foundation, dude. He laid that foundation yeah. strong. <laughs> just like last week when we talked about what uh, Yoko Shimomura did for Street Fighter 2, it's, you know, they're... Absolutely. They... They go, they plant the seed, and then they move on, but the beanstalk's still growing, man. <laughs> yep. Growing tall, growing wide, growing strong. Yeah. It's too bad this is a, this is a PG podcast. Or th- there's so much stuff we can say. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Most of my podcasts aren't PG, so I'm, I'm having to hold back some of my word choices. <laughs> That's all right, man. I've got... I've got the bleep button. I'm not as good as uh, not as good as Sean on uh, level down games, but I've got some I've got some sound work I can do. <laughs> oh, but um, we're gonna move on to a long running series that Koshiro has now been involved with for almost 20 years, and along with Streets of Rage and um, you know the lasting impact that he's had on Ease, I think, especially in Japan, this is the series that he is probably most associated with. This is Namco's arcade racing series, Wangan Midnight. We're going to go ahead and start this off. This is a really, really fun track. I was excited to bring this on. This is called Driver's Delight, and it is from Wangan Midnight Maximum Tune. We'll be right back. 
that was Driver's Delight from Wangan Midnight Maximum Tune, released by Namco for arcades in 2004. And you and I were talking. I have no idea how good these games are. Uh, Namco, yeah. I think, has we'll a never pretty probably good... get to play them in English, but <laughs> probably not. Probably not. I mean, it's a racing game, so yeah. you know, English probably language probably isn't super important. But um, <laughs> this uh, this is based on a whole like manga, film, anime franchise in Japan. It's it's really really big, and. Supposedly, I mean, Namco has got a pretty good pedigree with racing games. Uh, they developed the uh, Mario Kart arcade games. There are two of them, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this this track, you were talking about it. This is just like this it's, is really dancey, like club music. Club music, dude. It's so good the way it kicks in, and oh, it's just you could see yourself downtown. I don't know. I don't know the club districts in Japan. I'd need Kyle to help me out. Somewhere in Tokyo. The, the, <laughs> right. ne- the neon lights shining everywhere. And I could just mm-hmm. picture this music. Just, dude, it's got that vibe. It does. It does. And Koshiro actually worked with Namco on a couple of other things. He worked on uh, Namco Cross Capcom. And uh, he's, you know, been with them back and forth on some stuff over time. The, the biggest thing from a composing standpoint with uh, this title is so this is sort of, it's still that dancey sort of Koshiro uh, yeah. techno music but as you get deeper into this series and as you said there are a lot of these there i think there are like six numbered entries in this series but there's and there more are than just that well. yeah i was gonna say yeah. there's like yeah you know three has two enter three entries and it's crazy as you get deeper into it uh you really start to hear him more and more inspired by mainstream trance at the time and it's funny because he said he wasn't really familiar with the genre before this, but you hear in a lot of his work, like in Streets of Rage, that he kind of predicted trance by a few years. <laughs> and um, so it wasn't that hard for him to like adapt it into his uh, his soundtracks for these games. And they're all super good. There's a really great um, vocal track. Let's see if I can get that pulled up here. It almost feels like this track could have vocals in it at certain times. And you like, get that from a lot of his music. It feels it feels like you could like attach lyrics to his stuff really it easily. Feels like, it feels like it could. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. But that's because it's written in the way that a song would be written and not that a way that video game music is written. Uh, the one I'm thinking cool. of is from Wangan Midnight uh, 6, and the track is called Love and Gold. So, mm, gotta check that uh, out. I would definitely look that up. Love and Gold, Yuso Koshiro. It's a really, really fun track, and I, I was really close to putting that in instead of this. So... You still hear just that deafness, yeah. the uh, attention to detail, and just, he doesn't bring it all in at the same time. He lets it take its time and ease its way back in, and it's just ease so good. Ease its way back in? No, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh, uh, yep. <laughs> I'm doing it, too. <laughs> yeah, wrong, wrong game, sorry. Wrong game. <laughs> but the whole, if you like this kind of music, just just put a playlist on a Wangan Midnight Tunes, and you'll be happy. It's, <laughs> it's going to take you where you want to go. Take you on that journey. There you go. There you go. Around this time, he also composed the soundtrack that I want to give a little shout out to because I really, I really wanted to put something on there, on this from there. There's some really great music. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast, which ultimately is why I left it off. But that is the uh, Kid Icarus Uprising soundtrack. Koshiro joined a lot of really heavy hitters, uh, Motoi Sakuraba, Noriyuki Iwadare, and uh, Yasunori Matsuda on that soundtrack. 
and it's all just banging fantastic. And yeah, that entire soundtrack is pretty incredible. Koshiro specifically composed the themes for Magnus and Virity in that game, two of the uh, uh, the other um, characters, and both of those are really good. Uh, but there's just we played his Aurum Island track way, way back on episode two. Oh, wow. And okay. uh, yeah, that was the first Koshiro piece. No, maybe we played one of the Streets of Rage title tracks in episode one. I think we might have started strong with some Koshiro and then it sort of tapered off. But anyway, um, <laughs> got to give a shout out there. That was It's a really, really good soundtrack. And not a lot to say about this particular game that hasn't already been said. We don't really know that much about it. Yeah, yeah I, I'm clueless on when it comes to this one. Like this is I have no no information on. So, <laughs> And I am equally clueless on the, uh, the next game, <laughs> which Oof. came out a few years later. Now, this is the only game we have on this list that was actually developed by Ancient, um, Koshiro's company. And it's a, so Ancient is a development studio. I think they mostly do smaller or like indie or mobile type of games. But this game was actually developed for the Xbox 360. I could not find this soundtrack separately on YouTube. I might upload this one track so I I can put it on our playlist for this. You can definitely find Let's Plays of this game and you can find this soundtrack, you know, if you just Google it. But I will, uh, I probably will. I'll end up uploading this to YouTube so we can put it on the playlist. But this whole soundtrack is really fun. The game is called Protect Me Night, at least in English. That's what it's called. (laughs) And we're going to listen to an 8-bit composition from Koshiro released in 2010. This song is called Blind Fugitive. And that was Blind Fugitive from Protect Me at Night, which was released for the Xbox 360 by Ancient in 2010. In Japan, this game is called Memot Naito. 
Um, and I found it on one of the places where I uh, where I find music. Uh, if you search Mammoth Night, that's M-A-M-O-T-T-E, Mammoth Night soundtrack, probably you can find it too, but I'll, uh, I'll throw up a link on the show notes as well. The whole soundtrack is really fun, and Koshiro is really channeling... I, I heard some Naoki Kodaka and some Sunsoft in this. You mentioned another well-known series that actually reminded me of something else I want to mention, but yeah, what did you hear so, It this? sounds a lot like early Castlevania music as well, which is kind of surprising because thinking back to like a lot of the stuff that Yuzo Koshiro was doing in that era, like during the 8-bit, 16-bit era, I can't think of anything that really sounds like Castlevania that he worked on. I, think so, of, I can think of one thing. And that is Fillmore in Act Racer. Fillmore okay, has a yeah. very Castlevania yeah. vibe. Yeah. Maybe maybe a couple tracks from Batman Returns, but I don't know. That mm-hmm. even that's stretching it. But like this has some really strong and maybe it's just the melody and the way that it's done, but it, it I don't know. It harkened back to Castlevania to me. But wow. Yep. What a sound. What a soundtrack. Really cool. But he mentioned also in um, one of the interviews that I looked over for this that he was a fan of Castlevania. And actually in 2006, I don't remember if he did anything original, but he at least did some arrangement for Castlevania Portrait of Ruin, uh, which he worked on with Machiri Yamane in 2006. This was a game that was released, I believe, for the DS, because uh, it was in... It was after I kind of fell out of Castlevania, but so he's been, he was involved a few years before this in a Castlevania soundtrack. So yeah, I wonder if um if some of that had an influence on this, but probably you would think so. You would think so. Yeah, because yeah, he was he was involved in uh, in Portrait of Ruin. This looks like a cool little game. It's a so I've seen it called Tower Defense. I don't think that really sums it up. It's a retro throwback that's got some. RPG elements and some top-down elements, and it's just different. You said you were looking up something, um, just some like footage or something on this game. What are your kind of initial impressions of what you saw? It, it's very. It doesn't seem like there's much going on, <laughs> right? It's sort of like it. it, it they they themselves are you because you told me that you saw it described as tower defense. The team that made this describes it as tower defense. I don't know that I would call this tower defense, but hmm. it's like. You're a princess standing surrounded by some rocks and sticks, or maybe just a character. Oh, four unique heroes. Okay, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, uh, so I think a you're rescuing of characters. that princess, and you can be a fighter. No, you can play as that princess. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, you can play as that princess. That is one of the playable characters. So you can be I think. a fighter, a ninja, an Amazon, or a mage. <laughs> oh, so maybe you can't play as the princess. Maybe, maybe you're looking at the Amazon. <laughs> but the princess, the princess is throwing stuff. I think I was looking at the Amazon. The princess is throwing out hearts and stuff, so she's clearly uh, doing gotcha. something there. Okay. Um, but yeah, she's surrounded by these rocks and sticks, and it looks like you're just fighting enemies and trying to keep her safe. Ah, uh, gotcha. So okay. So I, I get, I get like this, the where you could say, I guess it could be tower defense, but it's really Sounds not. Sounds more like a top-down, like a real-time strategy or something um, on a really Similar. small scale. On a very small yeah. scale. One thing that was but really cool. It's, it's impressive that we got this, you know, chiptune soundtrack from, from Yuzo Koshiro in oh, 2010, yeah. though. That's awesome. Yeah, it is really, really cool. Uh, it's like, like if he had done more on the NES, it's like what that would have sounded like. I know. Um, but if you go to the, uh, the website for Protect Me Night, it's funny because you can see the Japanese box art and the 
American box art that they produced for this game that I don't even know if it ever got a physical release but like you can see box art that would have been and it's got regional differences that are really similar to like the old regional differences like if you look at um, the Dragon Quest and Dragon Warrior differences for example where in Japan it looks like you know the, the sort of anime style cartoony fun thing and then over uh, on the uh, the western side it's more like gritty urban fan or like uh, modern fantasy looking kind of stuff and it's right. it's really really funny <laughs> when you look at the website how they did that uh, definitely very tongue in cheek Koshiro knows that they knew what they were doing uh, <laughs> oh for sure <laughs> absolutely but we are now I think gonna get into your uh, last track of the episode we were kind yeah, of I think this is my last pick kind of front loaded with, uh, with your stuff but We've actually also mentioned this series. Um, Sorcerian, I guess, would be sort of like the last Bible of this analogy. And Dragon Slayer and the... Uh, Dragon Slayer would be like Shin Megami Tensei, and the Legend of Heroes would be more like Persona, in that it's really taken off in like the modern, the modern era. On the other side, when you look at Atlas, they started out with... Shin Megami Tensei, which spun off into The Last Bible, and or another Bible, some kind of Bible series, sub-series, and then eventually right. also spun off into Persona. And I think that's about as far as I'm going to go, because I'm going to let you kind of lead us into this and then talk about it a little when that's we come pro- back. That's pretty much it. I mean, you know, right, right at, the, at the moment, there is just, right now, Shin Megami Tensei and Persona that are the two major franchises that Atlas is kind of working on in-house. You know, we have... Shin Megami Tensei 5 releasing mm-hmm. in about two months. Yep. Uh, it comes out November-ish. Uh, I forget the exact day. And then Persona's 25th anniversary is currently happening right now. <laughs> I mean, it's the 25th anniversary of the series. And they're teasing multiple announcements. Um, one of which people are hoping for will be a, a full remake of Persona 3. And that ties into this track because uh, the the game that I chose from is one that Yuzo Koshiro only contributed one track to, so it was very easy to uh, to, to pick the track. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but the game is Persona Q: Shadow of the Labyrinth, which combines characters from both Persona Three and Persona Four. We'll talk more about it when we come back. The name of the track is Disturbances, the one called From Beyond.
was Disturbances, the one called From Beyond from Persona Q, Shadow of the Labyrinth. This came out uh, June 5th, 2014 in Japan on the 3DS. We would see it here in North America November 25th of 2014. And as mentioned, this was the only track that Yuzo Koshiro actually had a hand in for this particular game. The rest of it was done by Atsushi K- uh, Kitoji, or Kitojo, uh, Toshiki Konishi and... Um, Yuzo Koshiro is credited on Wikipedia as well. What's surprising? Usually when there's only one track, they don't usually credit them. So good for them for actually uh, crediting them on Wikipedia. And I like this because it's basically the only Persona track that Yuzo Koshiro has ever touched. And it, I, really I, th- cool. I think he did like a better job in aspects of it than Shoji Megaro does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to come in here and show you how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so good. Yeah, I don't know why the the description of this video hasn't con- contributed to other people, but even the comments yeah, were know. like, you know, this is definitely Kashiro. Probably they just like did like the main composers for all of the soundtrack and just put them on here. Right. And since, since Kashiro only did this one track, maybe he wasn't listed wherever they found their information. But even like the top comment on the video you sent me, or the video I found. Uh, such strong Eternal Odyssey vibes. The wiki yeah. page says Yuzo Koshiro composed one track in this whole game. I'm willing to bet it's this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just has that, I don't know, man, the way he does the guitar is different than a lot of other people. It is. The way he tackles some of the melodies, the way he tackles some of the riffs, it's it's different. It really is a great mashup because it's got those jazz horns that you associate with Persona. Yep. But then he brings in that guitar and it just, oh, it just wails. It's so good. Wheedly needlies. <laughs> and this track goes through so many different movements as well. Like it it slows down after shredding for a bit and you, it almost, it gets triumphant. You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh yeah. it's so good. This is so, so strong. This is a battle track, right? It's got to be. This is one of the battle tracks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He probably had a blast doing this track. Oh, I'm sure. Good deal. I love yeah. this. And let me tell you why. I'm a huge fan, obviously, of JRPGs. I'm a huge fan of Persona and everything the Japanese culture. Persona is probably, outside of The Legend of Heroes from Nihon Falcom, my favorite JRPG franchise currently still going. And I'm a big fan of the soundtrack, and I'm a big fan of Shoji Megaro's work for that franchise. And I've always wondered, up to this point, before Persona Q came out, when it did in, uh, in, in 2014, I had always wondered what Yuzo Koshiro's take on a Persona track would be like. And then we actually got that. And it <laughs> sounds so Persona. Like, it sounds like Shoji Megaro could have done that. But then you get to these parts with the guitar and when it's shredding and you just you just can tell that it's Yuzo Koshiro. Like, yep. it just, it's so obvious and it's so well done. And I'm glad that they, like, they kept so many of the aspects of what makes Persona music sound so unique, like the jazz instruments in the background, which, you know, blends blends so well with Koshiro's style anyway, right? Like, yep. I mean, big jazz fusion guy, so what a great track. Very much. It's so, so good. And this, uh, 
this game. It sounds really interesting. You said it combines characters from Personas three and four. Yeah, it's 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 this combination. Like it's they. I think there might have been two games in the Persona Q series. It was like a spinoff of Persona, but they they took several characters like the main protagonist and a lot of your party members from both Persona 3 and Persona 4 and they kind of told the story of how they all got like sucked together into this dungeon crawling gameplay style very similar to Shimagami Tensei their other series um and Etri and Odyssey like it's it's that it's that style. yeah it's I, this was like a crossover of not exactly a crossover but similar to the mystery dungeon series yeah and which uh, we've heard about quite a bit on this podcast because Shukapau is a huge fan of, of the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. Yeah, where, where you're in first-person view, kind of walking about, unlocking portions of the map as you go. It's not my favorite style. I, I, I do more prefer the, uh, the, the classic JRPG style as opposed to the first-person dungeon crawling, but there are a lot of good games in this uh, in that style, such as the Etrian Odyssey and, and Shin Megami Tensei games. So. Yeah, Etrian Odyssey, I played a demo of, I think it was 3 a long time ago, and I uh, on the 3DS, and that was as close as I ever got to enjoying that style of game, and I still didn't really enjoy it. It's just not my thing. Right. But but I can see, like, like people who do like that, that style of game, the, the art and the music are really, really great. And I imagine coming from, from Atlas that this is obviously going to be top notch. Oh, yeah. And yeah, this, this game did really well in terms of uh, in terms of the critics back in the day when it released. And um, I really enjoyed it, but I, I tend to enjoy everything that Persona or Shimigami, like they're all great stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and that's um, actually kind of leads into my next yeah, track. The perfect um, transition. Yeah, he was actually requested by the director of Etrian Mystery Dungeon, which is a, a full-on crossover of the Etrian Odyssey series and the Mystery Dungeon series. It was actually co-developed by Spike Chunsoft and Atlas, and he'd been doing the Etrian Odyssey series for a while. On those soundtracks, he, as I mentioned kind of previously, was using the PC-88 hardware and the PCM sound chip that comes in it to compose the tracks, but then he transposed them into like the dynamism that you get with modern audio. Right. And uh, so you hear some of his stuff. This is actually the song we're going to play was originally an Etrian Odyssey three, but we're going to listen to the Etrian Mystery Dungeon version because it's got that more real instrument feel to it, and it's one of the best sounding things I've ever heard from a 3DS game. Well, I mean, we just listened to a great 3DS song right. like that. The fact that that was from a 3DS is just incredible, and it shows Koshiro is like a master of whatever hardware he's on. This next one, I think, really follows that well. You might have seen this track online, the track title. I have seen it translated as, uh, Lift the Sword with Pride in the Heart. Um, On the playlist, you're going to see this um, rendered as Raise Thy Sword in Pride. And this is from Etrian Mystery Dungeon.
That was Raise Thy Sword and Pride from Etrian Mystery Dungeon, released in 2015 for the Nintendo 3DS and co-developed by Spike Chunsoft and Atlas. What, that a, is some what a track. Classic Etrian Odyssey <laughs> battle music, man. Oh, that, was, that was a nice one-two punch. Right, waste no time, man. Waste no time. Yeah, you come from that Persona Q track where you had some excellent guitar solos, and then this one just starts off with a solo. Like, oh, yeah. they, they doesn't waste any time. But that's generally like a lot of the Etrian Odyssey music, and you know, with Etrian, Etrian Mystery Dungeon being a spinoff, that music is yeah, pretty rocking at times. And it's awesome. This is another one. <laughs> I think you can just tell he had a blast making this music. Oh, yeah. Just keeps going. Another long composition. <laughs> I know. I do. I do. I love that though. Like, it's so good. Like they don't loop. Like they, you know, reuse bits and pieces, but it's not like a fullback. You know, it's a refrain. One of those technical musical terms. (laughs) Koshiro's compositions have legs. That's what it is. Running miles, running (laughs) sprints. (laughs) <laughs> the Eternal Odyssey series is so fun musically because you have these big sweeping orchestral pieces like you associate with fantasy, but then you have stuff like this when the battle tracks kick in, and it's really Koshiro going back to his Falcom roots and bringing in that that rock. And oh yeah, this could be in an Ease game, and you wouldn't you would never know the difference. Oh yeah, no, I wouldn't blink if this popped up in Ease. Be like, okay, yeah, that's that sounds about right. <laughs> But like at the beginning when you've got the guitar and the brass, it's got a real ska kind of feel to it. And then later on, it, it does. morphs into almost like a, an orchestral metal type sound like um, Trans-Siberian Orchestra or Metallica S&M. And it's just, uh, it's just so good. And again, you can tell he just, he had such a great time putting this together and he's such a master of his craft at this point. I mean, this is 2015. He's been doing this for almost 30 years, and which is which is mind blowing to think about yeah. because you know at that point he wasn't even 50 years old yet. So I know, <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like he's only 53 now, so yep. it's ridiculous. He's got so much time left. He does. Like and so many so many more amazing things we're going to get to hear from him. That's what's so great. I know. I was thinking about that with all three of these first three composers that I'm doing this season, uh, Mitsuda, Shimomura, and Koshiro. They're all relatively, all relatively young. young. They're yeah. all in their 50s. All relatively and, young. Uh, Mitsuda might actually still be in his 40s. I'm not sure. But if, if they all compose for as long as Koichi Sujiyama has composed, <laughs> oh, man, we're, we're going to be listening to them. You know, Which is fine by me. It is. Yeah, it is. Fine by me. I can't wait to hear, hear where this goes. And right now where this is going is... My last track of the show, so not counting the blooper reel, this is the last Koshiro music that you all will hear. We are going to listen to something. I th- This was on my short list, and the main reason I kept it on, it's there were other things I cut that were just as good, but kind of like Chinatown and the sadness I carry on my shoulders, this is a different side of Koshiro than we have explored so far. And I think it's kind of a nice way to bring things down a little bit. It's, it's still... Um, it's still a driving track in its way, but it's it's a lot more subdued instrumentally. Uh, this is another 3DS game. It came out in 2016, so we're going 14, 15, 16 on three 3DS games. Uh, this one is a very different style, though. From another series that is huge in Japan, Puzzle and Dragons. 
and I'm not sure how you pronounce this character. Could be Puzzle and Dragons X, could be Puzzle and Dragons Kai, could be Puzzle and Dragons Cross, <laughs> but one way or the other, that's the game. We're going to listen to Through the Blowing Dust. was Through the Blowing Dust from Puzzle and Dragons Cross. I'll just land on that. This game was released in both Gods and Dragons versions, uh, kind of like Pokemon games. So there's Puzzle and Dragons Cross Gods and Puzzle and Dragons Cross Dragons. This was released for the 3DS and developed by Gung Ho Online Entertainment in 2016. Ryan, do you have any experience at all with this series? I don't. I've not played any, which is surprising because, you know, on mobile, there are several Puzzle and Dragons games and several, mm-hmm. several ripoffs of the Puzzle on, and Dragons yeah. games. But on I have not played the, any of them. Uh, Mario crossover. And that's where I first heard this series. There was a Mario crossover yeah. and I didn't even play that. Mm-mm, I've never played it either. It's a, you're kind of your standard match three puzzle uh, yeah. series. Um, and it it does have a really big it's following huge. in Japan. It's massive um, over there, dude. I think it started to, to get some crossover in the West. But yeah, this is uh, really huge. This is the only massive. game in the series that Koshiro was involved in. And 
Uh, we mentioned while we were uh, listening to it that also Akira Yamaoka of Silent Hill fame and Kenji Ito of the Mana series were also somehow involved in this soundtrack. And Yeah, super strong lineup of composers yeah, for this one. Really, really cool stuff. Koshiro composed uh, a handful of tracks for this game, and they're all good, of course. But this one, I picked it, like I said, because it I think it shows a side of him that we've heard a little bit, like in that Chinatown soundtrack, but this oriental sort of sound that he obviously is just really, really efficient at. And that Japanese flute that really carries this tune is, it's so good. I don't know who performs that, but it's a really, really, really good sound. It's beautiful, man. It's really well done. And it's so funny to me because we mentioned it again while we were listening to it, but it has elements of like a Western movie or, you know, anything set out in the Mm -hmm. Wild West or video games set out in the Wild West. If you stick this in Wild Arms, I would, you know, think that would fit right in there. Like it just has that feel to it, even though it's nothing to do with the Wild West. I love Mm -hmm. it. It's so good. Although, well, maybe blowing dust, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. right? Like, I, I think it's it's supposed to have through the blowing dust. It's definitely got that could be some, you know, you, you could hear a sort of a spaghetti western type of um, yeah. type of feel there, and that that could be by design. We talked about you know th- there are some some similar elements, which I think is why they they mesh so well in things like Firefly and Cowboy Bebop and Wild Arms. You've got that sort of cross cultural thing going on, and the uh, instrumentation like um the the whistle that you hear in the good bad the ugly that's such a part of spaghetti western you know the music palette now uh there's definitely a lot of um i think a lot of cross culture going on there yeah and speaking of whistling it almost sounds like that japanese flute is meant to be mimicking like a whistle throughout Mm -hmm. the the song it's really cool yeah yeah when you mentioned wild arms it really clicked clicked oh yeah so but yeah, so we have gone through almost three decades of work from this amazing composer who obviously has such and just a handful of tracks. Like, there's so much more out there. There is there's so much more out there. There is, and I don't think I haven't <laughs> mentioned this on any of the other episodes, but I'm going to go ahead and make public my short lists for these episodes, which I haven't done on any of the other episodes I've done. Uh-oh. I tend to just uh, go ahead. I tend to delete them after I do that because I, you know, just don't really need them anymore. And I'd rather rediscover things, but um, I'm going to leave them up. I'm going to make them public after this goes live because there's so much more from Mitsuda and Shimamura and Koshiro that you can listen to. And even if you go through and just put on my playlists in the background, you're just going to be, it's the tip of the iceberg. Um, all three Absolutely. of these are just such massive talents. And if, if these episodes haven't made that clear. Over the last decade, Koshiro also, like Mitsuda and Shimomura, has been involved in live concerts of his soundtracks around the world. Uh, he has composed for TV and for movies, in addition to video games, um, and he has also contributed as a in like on the development level to um, Ancients projects as well. I wanted to mention this cool little anecdote. Around the turn of the century, Koshiro and several other members of Ancient 
uh, worked for over six months to produce a demo of Streets of Rage 4 that they were designing for the Dreamcast to try to get Sega to develop. Um, Sega of Japan saw potential in the project, but Sega of America, by that time, many of its executives had never heard of the series somehow, and so they were like, now we'll pass. And Koshiro... Because of that, and because of the failure of the Saturn and the Dreamcast, actually got disoriented and considered leaving the industry for a short time, around the turn of the century. But fast forward then to 20 years later, and in 2020, we get Streets of Rage 4, which we mentioned, uh, finally, we, we get it, which we mentioned last week because um, Yoko Shimomura composed the track Shiva. Well, Koshiro also came back and composed several tracks for this series that is really his name is synonymous with, along with several other really fantastic composers. And I just think that's a really cool way for everything to kind of come around for him and a good example of what he is still doing to this day. He is now the current president of Ancient. Uh, his mom has stepped back from her role as kind of overseeing business. And so he is still very, very involved. You'll also see him post a lot. I follow him on Twitter and he uh, posts yeah, quite a bit. I was going to say, he's, he's very active on social media. Yeah. So his, uh, his English is pretty good. So um, you uh, a lot of times, if you post, I'm sure he can understand it. He doesn't reply a lot, but uh, he's you know really famous. He probably gets a whole lot of messages. <laughs> What's really cool sometimes, another composer who I've talked about on here that I really love, uh, who is also really popular on, or involved on social media, is Alberto Jose Gonzalez. Oh yeah, yeah. And on Twitter, you see them interact a lot. Like you can, you can tell that they have a lot of mutual respect for each other, and I think that's really, really cool. It's always so. fun when you get to see that kind of stuff, like behind the scenes, almost uh, just mm-hmm. like you know, peeks into somebody's personal life. It's really neat. And everyone, I just have to throw this in here because it's kind of amazing. <laughs> a few days after I recorded this, I was on Twitter and. I noticed that Koshiro-san posted something about uh, about the use of AI when composing as a sort of an aid to creativity. And I made a comment about um, how I wondered if Streets of Rage 3 was the first time he had used that technique. And he replied, yes, it was, and that he was happy that I knew about it. And I wrote back and said, well, I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time, and I recently did some research on you for my show, and it was really impressive and interesting learning more about you. And I thanked him for taking the time to reply. He said, my pleasure, and the next thing I knew, Yuzo Koshiro had followed me on Twitter. And that's still kind of surreal, but I just had to throw that in here. Uh, Koshiro-san, if you happen to be listening, thank you so much. And you are more than welcome to join us on the show anytime you would like. Just let me know. Koshiro is often regarded as one of the most influential innovators in chiptune, house electronic, and just popular music of his time. Breakbeat, electro, hardcore, house, jungle, trance, so many of these things he sort of was at the forefront of, or even really ahead of his time. Uh, His influence extends so many different areas, and the demo scene outside of Europe, where the C64 is really king, the demo scene would not be what it is without influence from Yuzo Koshiro. And he remains undoubtedly one of the most versatile and creative game composers in history. And the fact that he was able to do so much with so little from the get-go is, uh, 
it's really phenomenal. And what he can do now with all of everything at his disposal, both with his experience and with the technology that's out there, it's really exciting when we think about, like you said, how young he is and how far he still has to go. He's certainly a once in a lifetime composer, I think. Like, we probably won't see somebody like that again, at least in our lifetime. Yeah. I think that's. I think Jake Kaufman had the potential for it. He's really, I think, in the last couple of years, taken a step back and focused more on like the development side of things. He's talked mm-hmm. about wanting to get more into like popular music or even film score. And so Koshiro, the difference there is that Koshiro from the beginning, I think, recognized and really took a gamble on video game music as a medium. Early on, you saw composers using pen names. Even after they got hired by studios, they would use false names. And some of that, I've heard anecdotally, is because they didn't necessarily want their names tied to something like a video game because they had higher aspirations. And you even heard in the Masuda episode and the Shimamura episode, they thought it was going to be a stepping stone. They thought it was going to be something that would eventually lead to something else. And instead, they became these, you know, amazing pioneers in this medium koshiro set out to be a pioneer in this medium he like that's what he wanted to do he wanted his name on these things and i think that's one of the things that really makes him stand out among his his peers absolutely and i mean that's one of the big reasons why he'll always be my favorite video game composer like he he will never be usurped as that number one spot well brian thank you so much for joining me this has been a blast it's been really great talking to you again yeah, it's been a while. I mean, I, I don't like I said, BG Mania is kind of on a on a small hiatus. We're, we're getting some personal things under control, but uh, I, man, the last time you were on that show was because you weren't on the Kodaka episode like you were supposed to be. Yeah, I, I threw in some. Uh, some you were there, but I not really like spirit, with us. Now they're live. Yeah, so I, I think, think the last time we talked may have been the Ease episode, the Ease Four episode. It might have been. So it's that, been a bit. Yeah, that might yeah, have been the last time I was on. So uh, in a couple months. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about what else you do, plug some of your stuff, and I will have links in the show notes like I always do when I have uh, folks on. But yeah, uh, talk yeah, a little bit about that. Yeah, appreciate it. So obviously you've mentioned it a few different times, but our one of our big shows that we do currently still, even though it is on a small hiatus, but it will be back here relatively shortly as we get things under control. BG Mania, video game music podcast, uh, been going strong for several years now. What am I up to? What am I up to on that one? 212, 212 was the yeah. last episode that I posted. So episode 213 will be coming some point in the next couple weeks. Uh, we do Blood and Destroyers, an All Elite Wrestling podcast every Monday. If you're a fan of professional wrestling, specifically All Elite Wrestling, AEW, uh, Dan and I do a, a show that's about an hour long where we discuss the latest week of, of AEW content and then kind of talk about what's hot and what's not in that. And it's been a lot of fun doing that. Uh, we have our Level Down Games podcast. Podcast, which is our flagship show that's every Tuesday. Myself, Kyle, and Dan, sometimes Sean as well. Uh, all-purpose video game podcast. We talk about new games coming out, what we've played, the news, talk about uh, Kickstarter games and projects that we find interesting. It's a lot of fun. And then Kyle is also the host of The Media Files, which is a pop culture review show that he does with either his wife or a rotating cast of chairs, which, Bedroth, you were on that show once. I was. Uh, the Media Files. Yeah, yeah you guys media talked, files. About talked about um, Zoe's Extraordinary Zoe Playlist. Something? Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was it. You guys were, did did do that. That was yeah, fun. That and was he a good and I have been kicking some things around. I may be back on at some points. Uh, I will be back nice. on eventually. We're trying to figure out what. But uh, nice. Media Files is really fun. 
fun. It's it's really short, which I love. I rarely yeah, miss an episode no, because usually, I actually have usually time. Usually, never longer than a half hour. So <laughs> yep. it's usually not longer than a half hour. Level down games nice. goes a little bit longer, which is why I don't catch it as often. But I do always make sure to tune in for your quarterly Thunderdome episodes. Those are a Appreciate lot of fun. It. Those are always super hype and, yep. and super enjoyable to do. But uh, yeah, depending uh, depending on when this goes live, and I know we kind of talked about it, we might have a new name going forward because we are kind of rebranding Level Down Games into something else. So, uh, you know, I'll probably have different names by the time this goes live, but uh, that's okay. I'll just edit it in. Or yep. you'll edit it. I don't have to yep. edit it in. You do. Yeah, you don't have to do the work I don't this edit time. this one. I don't do that. <laughs> you can I'm, just record I'm just used and to doing it. Then let it go. Let it go out in the ether. And, uh, <laughs> But now, uh, everybody, whatever your name becomes, uh, people... Leveldowngames.com will still point to whatever the new place ends up being. Good deal. Yeah, good deal. Because that's that's what people will see. And like I was saying, uh, I'm going to continue to uh, be... You know, loosely affiliated with you guys, we're gonna keep collaborating, oh, yeah. and so people will know. Definitely. People will know through uh, through the show, and it's uh, definitely a lot of fun. Uh, I might have to, might have to see if I can get Frank on here sometime because I know he's a big wrestling fan. <sighs> yeah, we could talk about uh, wrestling games and re- music that and wrestling be, games. Yeah, if you, I don't think you've ever done that one, so that would be a good topic to yeah. get him involved in. So. I have not. Um, That'd be fun because Frank and I were going to be on a show together for the first time, and then I couldn't do the Kodaka episode. Yeah. Um, that but, would have been the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's it's really cool. And um, then I guess Frank I would and just I haven't have done to... a, we haven't done a wrestling we haven't done a wrestling episode since like the early days. So mm-hmm. that would be a good one to do. And I guess uh, I'll just have to try to find some way of getting Sean and Dan on here at some point. I will record it with all of you after that. <laughs> one day, one day. One of these days, man. Maybe if I ever actually get back into playing games again, I can come on Level Down Games and actually have something to talk about right now. I'd just be like, Contri- oh yeah, that game to the cool. conversations. <laughs> oh yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah, maybe I'll play that one of these years. <laughs> That's how Dan is now. Maybe I'll check that out eventually. <laughs> right. <laughs> or Sean. <laughs> oh, but... Uh, I think, I mean, I, I always plug my stuff at the end of every episode, so it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Come join us on Discord. Find us on YouTube. I'm, Tell them where to find you. I'm at VGM Pod on Twitter. And yeah, uh, so next week, uh, I'm going to have another guest on the show. And we're going to talk about a composer who I think a lot of folks probably will not have heard of. We're going to be exploring the Commodore 64 scene that I mentioned just a second ago with Lee Tyrrell of the Sound Test podcast, which is also kind of on hiatus. Super exciting. Yep. Super exciting. Maybe after you're on this show and he's on this show, your own shows will uh, come back. Maybe I'll have a magic touch or something. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, it's we're going to talk about <laughs> Ben Daglish, who is one of the uh, big C64 composers along with guys like Rob Hubbard. And that's going to be a really really exciting show uh different tone so be sure to check that out and i'm excited it's gonna be a good week and i've been it's been really good we're recording these things every week it's uh i, I think a lot of this new hardware that i've got is it. making it easier for me you're knocking doing it, it out of the park in there finding my rhythm yep someone's got to take over because all the other shows like ours are going on hiatus and never coming back so someone's got to keep the charge going <laughs> Oh, uh, don't say that, man. I got to have more BG Mania. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it'll be back eventually. I just. Uh. Well, once again, Brian, thanks so much. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate it, man. It's been fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to my, my patrons and my show artists. You know who you are. Uh, names will be in the show notes. And so I guess that is going to about do it for us. 
So once again, everybody, until next time, play very good games. Be very good people. And keep listening to Very Very Good good music. Music. It's going to sound like we know exactly what we're talking about, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> I know. Well, I know. And plus, Avenger's but going yeah. nuts right now in the background, so. Uh, Avenger. Okay. Hang on. Sorry. Avenger. Let me get him back over here. Hey! This is good stuff we're saying. I might just have to pull some of this stuff and put it between Go the f- tracks. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I've been out in my backyard a lot the last couple of weeks working on a, uh, a fence that uh, has been falling apart, and... I was listening through to a lot of maximum tune music as I was doing it, trying to figure out what I wanted to play, and it kept me <laughs> kept me moving. Kept me going. <laughs> Got that fence done. <laughs> I could keep listening to this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and cut it. Ace of bass. Wow. <laughs> I <laughs> saw a the sign. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys. Yep. What else did they do? Oh, that she wants. That was them too, right? Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, don't turn around. Yeah. Yep. That's actually what this one kind of reminds me of. <laughs> God, that was a good song. Ace yep. of bass. All that she wants. That's the name of the song too. <laughs> All right. I think I'm going to... Bring us back in. Uh, I only, only got 20 seconds left. I'll just finish it. On my <laughs> All right. Fantastic. I'm gonna shut off my recording.